in the last episode we could hear birds like i don't know whose birds it was yeah, I it think was it was so cute one. there's like little birds in the background i think it's you yeah. i don't know Do i got know? birds <laughs> i think it probably was me because yeah, my window was open because me i don't have, yeah. the, I have birds near my window here the same okay then it's chris for sure all right guys welcome back to the fourth episode of the untold gems podcast i'm here with my co-host sasha and Charles, and today we've got a bit of a different episode it's going to be more uh, related to real estate and we're just going to be asking Charles a lot of questions about real estate uh, investing um, if you don't already know Charles runs a page on instagram called the wizard investor he knows pretty much everything there is to know about um, you know, real estate investing and even whether it has to do with stocks or whatever it may be when it comes to investing, Charles is the guy that I go to and that, you know, like he, he knows his stuff. So we're going to make this episode based a bit around him. We're going to ask him a lot of questions in the hopes to uh, educate you guys. So um, Sasha, I know you prepared a bit of questions. So you want to go first? Yeah, so I have a lot of questions, but I'll start with like something simple, Charles. Like maybe just start by telling us how you got started. What it, like what did your journey look like? I think you had said in the first podcast or one of our podcasts that you were twenty three when you yeah. started. So like, tell us a little bit how you got into that, and it is a pretty young age to get started. So tell us how you got started into that, and like what your journey looked like. Yeah, so essentially, uh, I think it was episode one. We talked about the stock market and. For me, I'm grateful for the stock market because that's what allowed me to have the funds to be able to invest in real estate. So early on, I always used to watch HDTV. I always knew I wanted to be into real estate. I didn't think it was going to be that young. I thought it was going to be in my mid-20s, but I was able to have a lot of capital at early age, and I knew that at the market, that was an opportunity for me to increase my net worth. So especially when you study the rich people in the world, you'll see a common pattern that they have crypto they'll have real estate and they'll have stocks Sweet. and some of the richest people you don't know they have real estate like warren buffett he's known for his stock portfolio but he has one of the richest or the biggest portfolio in real estate so it's an important pillar to have whether it's in REITs or real estate investing or just owning we'll say apartment buildings so it's a lot of exposure that you get through real estate so i knew i had to get real estate in my portfolio so i was fortunate enough to invest in great long-term company use those funds from it and in Canada we have something called a TFSA which is tax-free so essentially I was able to take those funds tax-free and then use it to buy my first property and then last year I bought my second property so guys it's a matter of just knowing what you want to buy doing your research to know which neighborhood you want to buy in and looking to see opportunities in the market because a lot of people don't want the headaches that come with real estate, but sometimes the headaches is what makes it profitable also. Yeah, for And sure. you hear like people talk all the time about like rental properties as a source of income. Could you explain to people how that can happen? Because I think it's really important that people our age uh, start like doing everything they can to invest in their first property. And if it's not to live in it, then it's to rent it out um so that someone pays their mortgage yeah um so yeah just to explain a bit about that for people because i wasn't aware of this a couple of years ago Uh, i'm sure there's some people who aren't aware either so yeah Yeah. so essentially there's two types of income there's passive income there's active income so just because you have a real estate portfolio doesn't mean it's profitable so i'll give you an example it's like i know a lot of real estate investors in the region of montreal 
that don't make any passive income, they actually have to take money from the nine to five to pay the mortgage. Because in certain regions, your mortgage and your rent are too close. But it's not just your mortgage, you have your insurance, you have your bank fees, etc. So sometimes your expenses are too high to cover your mortgage and you have to pay outside. So sometimes it's not a question of looking for the best property. Sometimes you have properties that provide you better cash flow in small cities than in big regions. So real estate is one of those things where regardless of what happens in the world, people are going to need a place to live. And uh, well, it's, it's sad for people who don't have real estate because you're subjected to what the economy can provide. So especially in Vancouver, in Toronto, in big cities, you have people living three, four, five in an apartment or in, in a big uh, condo to be able to pay the mortgage or to pay their rent. So that's why real estate investing, if you're able to have and accumulate these assets, these people pay off your bills. These people are able to provide cash flow for you to invest in different assets. People are able to provide you cash flow to rep, to recuperate your funds and put in a bigger project. So that's why real estate investing, especially if you're young, you're able to essentially have somebody pay off your home mortgage and then essentially have it no mortgage at all. So essentially, if you start off at 25 and the average mortgage in Canada is 25 years. Okay, so by, if you get a mortgage at 25, and somebody's paying off your mortgage every single month, putting money in your pockets. Not only are you able to invest that money somewhere else, could it be crypto, stocks, etc. That person pays off your mortgage. So by the age of 50, you have no more mortgage on your property and everything else is straight profit. And mm-hmm. throughout the age 25 to 50, rates are going to increase. So essentially people call it real estate as an inflation hedge because you're able to increase rents throughout the years also. So not only are you putting more money in your pocket as rents increase, but 25 years from now, it's all profit. And if you have multiple real estate or real estate properties, then all of it goes in your pockets and then you're able to live the life you want afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, Sasha, you're living that right now, no? Like they're trying to increase the, the rent on you? Yeah, she's like, oh, I lowered the rents because of COVID. And trying to basically lie to me, but anyways, they're trying to raise the 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 um the rents, and it's because the rent was increased so much in this area that I, that I live. Like since COVID, basically the prices were never this high, and all of a sudden, like there's this crazy jump in prices. So obviously, like they're they're like, shit, we can make more money. So she's trying yeah. to convince me to raise the rent, but basically she missed the the like deadline of when rent is like when you're supposed to send a notice. So she's trying yeah. to like, fight me and say, oh well, we can make an agreement. And I'm like, well, I don't agree to an increase. <laughs> anyway, so basically it was this whole thing, but it's just so crazy how the rents increase so much, like in in like Montreal itself. And even in Laval, I find like in outside of Montreal too, it's like it, the prices are, are getting so much higher. It's crazy. So I think like it's it's encouraging other landlords as well, you know, to they're realizing, oh shit, I can I can raise the, the rents as well. Um yeah, it's crazy the prices, how how high they've gone since COVID. Yeah, and I want people to understand that it's not your average uh, tenant that's increasing and making the rent increase. It's the big corporations coming in and setting up rental condos. So what you're going to see is so the big trends of, especially in Montreal and Laval and surrounding areas, there's a lot of highways. There are going to be a lot of 
we'll say luxurious or affordable apartment buildings or affordable condos and they're all going to be for rent. So it's going to be to a point where they're going to have 40 floors, 30 floors and they're all going to be for rent. Yeah. And that's what's making it or the rent increase because if you're looking at somebody over there that's putting a rent at $1,200 then for you, you have a four and a half, maybe it's a duplex and you're putting it at $1,200. Why wouldn't you, if you're able to see that person $100, but for you, it's a big jump because potentially a year ago, you would have had it at $1,000. So now you're putting it at $200 because you're trying to justify the increase of what we call real estate, like the comps or the comparables. And that's where there is is the misguidance. Yeah. Um, And so so you told us uh, basically your journey, how you got started, but how can, like, how can someone like what's the first thing that someone should do if they're trying to like look into this or like i don't know like i don't know if i'm asking the question properly yeah so the first thing you would do if you were to start again i guess yeah so if i were to start again i'll ask myself what type of life do i want because some people don't want the headaches of having tenants calling you or having to sign leases etc there are things in place so you have rental managers or property managers that you're able to put in place to we'll say, deal with these types of situation, but they take profit out of your pocket. So essentially, I know a lot of people say, I don't want to go into real estate because I don't want to renovate. I don't want to go into real estate because I don't want, I want to be in a big city. I don't want to go outside of Montreal, et cetera. So I would tell people to look to see what type of life you want to live and if real estate is actually fit for you. Because I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to say this real estate journey was the easiest. I got into real estate in February and then March COVID happened and everything shut down. So essentially, so on this day, I'm still dealing with the consequences of what happened before, but I'd rather be in a position where people are putting money into my pockets than the other way around. So if one of the things I would tell people is get your credit correct. You know, a lot of people forget to pay their phone bills, forget to pay their credit cards, have a high balances on the credit card. Those are the things that banks look at, you know, banks look at, there are two types of credit, there's revolving credit and then there's installment payments or installment credits. So installment credit is when you have, let's say for example, a car loan and you pay bi-weekly. That makes your mortgage or that makes your credits jump in terms of credit boost because you're making your payments every single time. And then we all used to work at a bank and then you have your revolving credit where you're, we'll say, your payments are periodic. So you choose how much you want to pay. But when you have periodic payments or when you have revolving credit, what's important is not to over leverage yourself. So at the bank, there used to be a rule of not using more than 30% of your credit card balance. And for me, I remember when I first started working at the bank, I had a credit card limit of $500. When I quit the bank, I had a limit of $10,000. I was pre-approved for or later on, I was pre-approved for a mortgage, in-line credit, et cetera. So working on credit gives you opportunities to be able to leverage your credit and acquire your assets. And I will also tell people to go to the professionals because I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, I want to get a mortgage and they'll go directly to the bank. But for example, if you go to RBC, if you go to TD, if you go to CIBC, they'll give you the best mortgage based on what they could do. But by going to a mortgage broker, essentially what they do is that they pack, they look at your situation, they look at your debts, et cetera. They'll package it in a way that's pretty. They'll go to each bank 
before I create a unit, I'll say, this is my client or this is client A. He's trying to buy a, a property. What can you do? And then all the banks that are interested will say, I can offer you 2%, I can offer you 4%, etc. And then it's for you to negotiate with each different bank and select which one is best for your criteria as well. So that's one of the biggest issues or one of the biggest misguidance because a lot of people get discouraged when they don't get approved for, for a loan, you know, and at the same time too, respectfully, some of the advisors don't know what they're saying. It's better to look to the professional who deal with rental incomes to see what types of deals are happening as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it actually leads to my next question perfectly. Um, what's like the minimum credit score that they usually require? Do you know the, the correct answer for that? Yeah, so before COVID, I would have told you it would have been between 680 that you would need to have a good credit score. But when the issue is that when interest rates are low, banks are more eager to give loans. Mm-hmm. But when interest rates oh, wow. increase, yeah, exactly. So, and they were historically, though, they were at one point almost 2%, 1.95, I saw one time too. But when rates increase, the bank's criteria increases. So, essentially, the bank's role is to reduce their risk. So, before interest rate increase, you would probably potentially would have said 680. Now, I would say 710, 720. But for people who don't have a good credit score, you can always get a co-signer. So, essentially, a co-signer is somebody who personally guarantees your your loan in case you default. So essentially, for example, if my credit score was at, for example, 640, and Chris had a credit score at 760, I could say, okay, well, I mean, go get a mortgage, but the bank will require Chris to co-sign my mortgage. So essentially, if I were to default, Chris would take over the mortgage and would be responsible for taking over the mortgage and paying it as well. So that's the alternative for people who may not have the credit score to be able to buy real estate yet. And not only um, credit score, but what about, because right now prices are crazy, right? And most people can't afford a property on their own. Yeah. Um, So like, that's crazy that you have to have someone else right now. If you're just an average, like you're, you're at an average income, you have to have someone else to co-sign with you yep. um, on a property. And even if you don't, let's say you buy a property right now, a condo, like 400K, you put 5% down. Um, the mortgage is going to be approximately like 2K per month. And right? Yeah, it's around uh, 1,600. Yeah, but plus like all the bills I mentioned. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, yeah the mortgage is around 1.6, but like with all the bills, yeah, it's like around 2K. And imagine you're living on your own and you make like a 3K per month. Like it's just the prices are so crazy right now. I don't understand how people are, are doing it on their own. Or is it just a case of like buy a cheaper property? Yeah, but it's also, yes, and that is answer one, but it's also looking for partnerships, you know? And a lot of the times too, I was lucky to be able to buy my first property alone. My second property was with my dad and we were able to okay. buy a property together. So I put... For people who don't know, you used to have a coffee company. I sold it, used those funds to buy my part of the property, you know. But a lot of the time, too, is that what you could do or what is a possibility is that you... I'll, I'll explain it from my side. Let's say, for example, with a group of three friends, okay? I would get each friend to put a down payment on a different home. And that would be under their name. But I would fund the capital for property one. I would fund the capital for property two. And I would fund the capital for property three 
And in Canada, we have something called a notary. So essentially, you go to a notary, you sign your documentation. So we will have a formal agreement to say this is a partnership for three properties, but in the bank's eye, I only have one property under my name. So that's one way too, because like Chris said, a lot of these prices are increasing. And if you're in from the Montreal or Laval region, a duplex right now could cost you anywhere from six hundred to nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And for five percent down, you're starting at three three thousand dollars, and not everybody has that capital to save up. But if three people are able to get 10, 10k each, and then you do a partnership, and then you do able to do that again and again and again, it's a possibility of increasing and growing faster. Because real estate is like it's like monopoly. You get one, you get another one, and there's a snowball effect. Because if yeah. I would have told people my net worth was negative a couple years ago, people wouldn't believe me. Because it's now to the point where. If you're looking for your age bracket, real estate allowed me to have a network beyond what I thought was possible. Yeah. But I would potentially be able to get to my destination faster if I was able to partner with like many people who had the capital to be able to invest together. Um, okay, so I have another question. <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, so we already spoke kind of like how someone can get started or like what they should do, but how much money do you think is like the minimum that you should expect? I know you said you could do partnerships too and like everyone puts 10K, but like if, if someone alone wants to start, what would you say is the minimum that they should expect to have to at least put 5% down on like, I don't know, a good price range, but on a decent property? Yeah, and I'll tell people, it all depends on the region. You know, like I have... Sure, oh my God. <laughs> I have uh, properties in big cities. I have properties outside of big cities, you know? So for me... In rural areas, I realized that the cash flow is actually better than in big cities. And the reason for that is because people don't have high expectations. You know, I'm managing a property right now. I'm putting percentiles, changing the doors, et cetera, et cetera. In some of these regions outside of Montreal and Laval, paint normal floor. And because your expenses are so low, you're able to keep a lot more of the profit in your pocket. And... So depending on which region you want to go, you could put as low as $10,000 on a property and have potentially cash flow coming in for you right now, day one. You could potentially put $30,000 on a property in Montreal and have zero cash flow because you break even. But what is important to understand is that some people don't buy real estate in Montreal for the cash flow. Some mm-hmm. people buy real estate in Montreal for the appreciation. Mm-hmm. But essentially, for example... If you bought a property at $400,000 and it increased to $600,000, the new value is at $600,000. You can take out that money at $600,000 and go ahead and play and do another type of investment. And do you but think buy, that appreciation happens more like in Montreal rather than it would outside of Montreal? Yeah, 100%. 100% because especially in Montreal, it's like it would a lot of neighborhoods that get gentrified. You know, yeah, so oh, sure. <laughs> if you're looking at some of these... Uh, neighborhoods, some of these properties four years ago were at $100,000. Now that a million dollars. If you were never taking a second mortgage or refinance and you have all that equity. So equity for people who don't know is how much fake profit is in your pocket. So essentially, if you were to buy a property at $100,000 in 1950 and in 2022 is worth a million dollars, you have $900,000 worth of equity. So essentially, if your property is worth a million dollars, you could take out 80% of the new value of a million dollars. So the bank could actually give you 
$800,000 cash for you to be able to do whatever you want with it. And it's you know? you know that you like you have the equity and your house is worth that much. So then they're willing to give that to you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because now the mortgage is at a million dollars. You still have to pay it back, but you have the cash available for you to play around with it. So a lot of people in Montreal or who invest in Montreal look at that strategy because they're like, it's a great way to be able to get out funds. And that's why Montreal is not a cash flow city. If you look outside Montreal, you may have more attractive city that gave you higher cash flow. But that's why it all depends on your strategy. Because if you're somebody who's like, okay, well, if my expenses are total or $3,000, I make $2,000 and I just need an extra $500, for example. Then you could get a property that'll give you $1,000 per month. And let's say, for example, your mortgage is at $600, you keep $400 in your pockets, and then the rest is all profit. You know, So that's where it is important to understand why you're investing in real estate and... Are you somebody who really wants cash flow or is it just appreciation? I'm somebody who wants both. I want cash flow and appreciation. <laughs> well, I'm greedy like that. But that's why you have to look at properties that are, in real estate, we call them distressed. So essentially, you look to make those fix up or you look for the properties that nobody wants. You fix them up. You build your equity day one and you also have the opportunity to have cash flow also. Yeah, and um, so you said um, like you look for properties that are like I forget what what term you use. Yeah, distressed. Properties. Yeah, distressed properties. And so, how much time do you think you like? Do you find you spent? Well, actually, no. In your situation, did you like the properties that you bought? Were they like distressed, and you had to fix them up? Yeah, they're all distressed. So and for me, there's something called a hard process, like to fix them up. Because in my head, it's like if I were to buy property, I would be like, I don't want to buy a distressed one because I don't want to have to deal with it. But I know that that yeah. would be against. exactly but most people have that thought process and for me i made a lot of money where my thesis is look for the place that nobody wants to go to Mm. no if there's a building like a fire or going around i'm going straight for it (laughs) and in real estate there's this um, term called brewer so essentially it's buy renovate refinance repeat Mm. and i just do the entire process i'll give you a quick example um everybody's familiar with Griffintown, right? So if you're mm-hmm. not from Montreal, Griffintown was a area, I'll say in the, probably in the 1960s, 1970s, a lot of drugs, a lot of prostitution. Oh my god, yeah. It was it was considered the ghetto. And if you look at Griffintown right now, it's most one of the most attractive parts of Montreal. But if you're somebody who would have bought Griffintown, that was at 2011, you would have bought a property there, distressed, you would have made your re- renovations enough for you to be able to make a profit because essentially what's important is to buy things at discount you know like like we said the last episode i like things out of clearance for me and back in the day you used to be able to buy properties below asking you know but in this market there's a lot of bidding wars going on a lot of people are paying over asking so essentially buying distressed property provides you the opportunity to find a We'll say quality properties. I'm not talking about properties that got fall off the bridge, but you could tell when somebody takes care of their home. You know, if the paint is fresh, if the color is nice, if there's brand new windows, not a property for me. I'm looking for the property where somebody says that's the trouble house. If the 
if it's structured, I won't touch it. I only touch things that are cosmetic. So new paint, new floor, new doors. We'll say, for example, potentially new windows. Is it hard That's to it. do windows? Like, is it hard to do these things, in your opinion? No. <laughs> it's 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 to the point how comfortable you are. I know a lot of people that potentially just change the paint. Yeah. The floor, it takes you a weekend. And then that's it. You're able to potentially increase your rent 100%. I want to be able to have my building appreciate because you could do a little cosmetic if you want to increase your rent 100%. But I want the property value to go higher also. So if you're able to... I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, you have a supermodel over here and you're like, wow, this is the best girl in my school. And you have this girl who isn't the most attractive, but she has potential. You pick her, you say, I'm going to style you up and you could be comparable to this. Yeah. So essentially you started down low and you build up to here, but all this is in your, is in your pockets compared to buying a house that's right here and your profit is right here also. Yeah. So I would tell people if you aren't, well, in Montreal, if for sure it's uh, a bit tricky because not every handyman is, we'll say, decent. But real estate is a game of cash reserve. Cash is king. If you have a lot of cash reserves, then those are the types of projects you want to go into. If you're somebody who's starting out, look to do things that don't require the, the moon. You know, paint, changing the door. Guys, if you change the floor, put black handles and have a new floor. Yeah, it makes it just the property entirely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it's not hard to make a property go from looking like ugly to looking nice, you know. You no, know, and when people rent, they look at two places specifically: the bathroom and the kitchen. Oh, if your sure. bathroom and your kitchen look nice, you can ask whatever you want. Yeah, and you know it's not hard to like to like change the cupboard, the cupboards in a in a kitchen, and just like paint it and make it look really white. And like I've moved so many times in my life, so trust me, I have the experience of like looking at apartments and. uh it's so true. It's always the bathroom and the kitchen that we always, cause like, that's where you're going to be like, yeah. <laughs> and then like, that's where you're going to be bathing. So it's like, you need those two to be clean, <laughs> you know, and to look like white and clean and like fresh, you know, whereas the rest of the house is important, but I guess not as important. Yeah. And a lot of the time too, it's people don't realize, but real estate is a lot of emotions. So there is actually psychology that goes into it. There's, there's a reason for why every new, development is white because white makes the room look a lot bigger mm, i never thought about that <laughs> ceiling lights makes the floor look more shiny look more modern so essentially it makes essentially the room to be more modern more cleanness etc so it's all psychology that goes into it so that's why when you look at a lot of these modern homes there are a lot of white boxes because it's easier to play off and i'll give you guys an example if you just put a basic 12 by 24 person tile is basically a rectangular shape if you put that in the bathroom just paint out white and then you have a white vanity you know don't have to break the bank over but i tell people it all depends on where your neighborhood is at you know if your neighborhood is developed and they're asking for marble uh gold faucet etc yeah. then you'll have to go the extra mile but if you're in the neighborhood that's in the up and coming that you can see the city's investing a lot of people are coming in then just the opportunity for you to do renovation, increase the rent value, and also increase the property value, and then the rest of the neighborhood will follow through also. Yeah. Um, 
I wanted to just to say quickly, like, because you gave the um, example of uh, the hundred thousand dollar when you bought a property at a hundred thousand and now it's worth a million, you can ask yeah. the bank to give you eighty percent of the property. Uh, just want to clarify, like, that's basically borrowing against your assets, yeah, right? Yeah, refinance. Yeah, refinance, and then once you do that, you have two options. You can either like. Uh, use the money for you know for your lifestyle and to get a car and stuff like that or you can actually use it to buy a few other properties and, you and build your sort of empire that way yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't know how do you feel about taking loans or for for investing uh rich people do it all the time just, i know right you don't do it about it's something called asset-based borrowing so for people, I used to work at an insurance company back in, well, I, used to, I did an internship at an insurance company. And what they don't tell you is that you could actually take a loan against your life insurance and use those funds oh, yeah. to buy assets. You know, we're used to going to a bank, presenting a business plan, et cetera, and that's how you get your money. But there are places where you're able to take loans against your assets. If, Wait, how, how does that work for your life insurance? Like, what? Yeah, so what's the... we'll get a... We'll get a an insurance broker, but essentially if you have a life insurance and you take a policy out, you have a cash value. So essentially, yeah. for example, if your cash value is at what, let's say $500,000, you're able to take a certain amount out of that policy and then use it to buy assets, etc. So essentially, okay. that's one of the ways people do it. If people don't or aren't familiar with DeFi, DeFi essentially is decentralized financing. Yeah. You're able to get a loan against your Bitcoin. Soon, I know places in Miami, and Miami is a place where Bitcoin is going to be and the crypto space is advancing quickly. You'll be able to qualify for a mortgage and use crypto and specifically Bitcoin as your down payment. Oh yeah, so 100%. We'll get to a place where a lot of people are going to bet against themselves and bet against their assets. But what is important to understand is, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the video, is that the bank doesn't like risk. So that's why having assets that are quality allow you to have these options. If you only buy these meme stocks, et cetera, you don't have the opportunity to go ahead and ask for a significant amount, you know? And a lot of these people are able to build their real estate empires going from one property to a property to a property by refinancing. And essentially, for example, I think it was episode one or episode two, I gave the example, let's say if you have a property of $100,000 and it goes up to $300,000. Essentially, your spread, your equity is at $200,000. If you want to refinance, you could take some of that equity out, use the money for a down payment, and buy another yeah. property. Yeah. And essentially, you're only able to refinance in Canada if you put 20% down. So for people who put up that 5%, the 5% is five years if you want to refinance afterwards. So it gives you opportunity to pay down everything for you to be able to qualify for the 20%. That's the time where you need to invest to increase the property value. Because if you're able to increase the property value, the bank won't look at what your property was worth two years ago, four years ago. They'll look at what the property is value right now. And depending on the market where it's at, mm -hmm. and depending on the neighborhood, you could be in store for the opportunity to take money out and buy other assets as well. I think um, 
Yeah, a lot of people do that with, like you said, Bitcoin and Ethereum right now. I've been looking into trying it for the first time because I've never borrowed against my assets. But what a lot of people are doing right now is um, they're using their Ethereum. So whatever, let's say you have 10K in Ethereum, they're using uh, a loan like Mm -hmm. that and taking maybe 50% of their uh, value of their Ethereum. So they get $5,000 in cash. And then when Ethereum is low, they buy more Ethereum. Yeah. And as soon as it goes up, they sell what they, the, the value of the loan to pay it back and they just keep the profits. And the cool thing about the whole DeFi space is I, I don't think, I don't know if it's changed, but last time I checked, there's no um, repayment terms in, in terms of you don't have to pay monthly. It's like there's no set term depending on which website you use, yeah. by which you have to repay your loan. So um, that's way better than a bank because with a bank, you have to repay on a monthly basis. Um, and you know, with the whole DeFi world and the whole uh, uh, crypto, you don't have to do that. You don't have to repay on a monthly basis. Yeah, and I tell people, especially if you're young and under 30 or under 35, you need to understand that these are things that people were using before crypto was a thing. These are terms and these are things that were available to 1%. And that's because of the internet, it's available to us. So I tell people, go search up life insurance, go look up a trust, go look up how people will leverage their assets, real estate, et cetera. People leverage their stock portfolio to be able to buy assets. So these are all things that people are able to do is just having the proper information to make an educated decision against we're not, we're not financial advisors, but these are things that we're looking into ourselves. So you we're not know. financial advisors. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know about any of this until recently. Like, I didn't know. You, I didn't even know you could do any of that with like real estate. You know, and uh, I think it was on. Uh, actually, no, I was watching a show. I think I, I think they said it on a show, and then I was like, oh my god, it's the same thing as like borrowing against your assets, like you would do with crypto. Yeah, I didn't realize that that was a whole thing with real estate as well. Um, have you ever done that, like with with your real estate? So that's what I'm doing right now. So (laughs) to give people more context, I bought my first property two years ago and I was able to put 5% down. So essentially when you put 5% down, you have to wait until it's 20% to be able to take a refinancing. So essentially what I'm doing right now is everything I mentioned, renovating every unit. And for me, one of the tricks I tell people is that when you put your 5% down, it varies. So if you buy a duplex is five percent down if, if you're a first time home buyer if you're buying a triplex it's ten percent down you know and that makes a significant difference depending on what assets or which between the two you buy so what i tell people is that if you're able to buy a duplex with a bachelor so a bachelor for people who don't know is anything with a basement so anything with a basement anything that has a separate entrance or etc so in my property i have a duplex i had a third unit at bottom, but the C considered a duplex. I was able to put 5%, but for three units. So now essentially, now I have a triplex and the goal is to have it qualify the triplex. So when I refinance, the value is increased higher. So that's a way for people to be able to look for opportunities in the market and potentially have more bank for the buck and still be able to put the 5% down instead of 10%. And quickly, how is it like managing 
people do you use agencies or do you have like an agency to to do that for you or is it you dealing with your uh, people that are renting from you yeah so i do everything myself because i like real estate for me it's okay to the point where this is my niche this is where i want to be good at you know and when you first start out you're learning people and especially when people are comfortable and especially this is an issue in canada a lot of tenants know their laws, you know, and a lot of tenants know their laws. They know exactly what to do, what to say. <laughs> exactly. So I wanted to know what it was like before hiring somebody. Because if I hire somebody, how can I know they're doing a good job or not? So mm-hmm. I want to have that on-the-job experience to be able to see what it's like, deal with it, know the realities, and be able to manage that. Because one of the most annoying things is having a tenant that complains, but... If you do everything you're supposed to, you just have straight cash and I have a property outside Free Rivers. I go there quarterly just to see how the tents are doing, but it's not to a point where I'm able to just go in and be there every single day. So I tell people to evaluate where they want to go and look to see what they want to do. But if you're starting out, get that experience, but there's nothing wrong with having an agency or a property management because you have more of an on-service situation from the beginning to the end. So essentially, depending on the region, I know some of them will pay a percentage for each unit that you have, and then they'll take care of your signing your leases, finding your tenants, uh, repair and maintenance, etc. Yeah, also, I, I think for me, I, I wouldn't want to see people. Like, I, I don't want to see, uh, I don't want to deal with anyone. So I think I, I would go that route. But um how expensive would it be to use like an agency? It, it all depends on the region. So if you're in a big city, depending on how qualified the person is, it could be anywhere from 10% of your gross, uh, or your gross monthly revenue. Okay. So essentially it's to the point where if real estate is a place where you want to build a big niche and you want to accumulate a lot of assets, I tell people look to make it in house, you know, and I tell people, when I go visit my tenants, none of them know I'm the I'm the property. I'm the owner. You know, I tell I just I just tell everybody I work for the owner. <laughs> essentially, yeah, shit. So essentially, here's the trick: is that when I meet my new tenants, I say I just work for the owner of the property. So when they ask for for new things, I just say the the owner said no, and they don't get mad at me because they don't think I'm the owner. So that's where up and down, but they won't know that it actually came from me. So that's a quick way for people to be able to gain that lease experience but not oh, wait <laughs> don't they ever want to talk to the owner like what do you do when they oh he's out of town he's not he's not from this country oh he's always been out of town yeah he's always been out of town i just uh, work for him okay 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 so, so that's the trick but if you're able to build a team have somebody work for you and then just manage because a lot of the times one of the biggest expenses is finding repair or handyman to be able to work on a job. Mm-hmm. It's not finding people to lease, etc. So a property manager, if you're looking to hire one, is somebody that's well-connected because especially labor and people who work with their hands is in short demand. So mm-hmm. a lot of these times you have to pay a lot of people extra amount for them just to come visit the property. So having a property manager who is well-respected, but also has connections throughout the multiple industries is very important. So if somebody doesn't want to deal with that, I think it's a, it's a good alternative, especially if somebody that just wants to collect the rent and not see any of the 
headaches also it's a good alternative yeah that sounds like me <laughs> yeah like i don't think i would mind dealing with like people one-on-one because i like spending time with people but like i've been renting for so long in my life and i know that like landlords hate <laughs> like they just hate being bothered a lot you know so i don't know i feel like i would be one of those too like i feel like eventually i would i would just want to pass it off to somebody but um yeah just in general i think like finding tenants through like facebook market and everything like i don't think it's that complicated i don't think it's that hard and then like as long as you're doing what legally like what you're supposed to do as a landlord i really don't think you should have that many problems you know like i've had issues with landlords but it's because they weren't really following the actual laws and so like that's where the issues came but i think as long as the landlord is actually providing what they're supposed to and like following those rules then there should be no reason unless you have somebody that's really like unfair and crazy yeah but you see that's the issue (laughs) that's the issue because a lot of people don't know this but a lot of the most or the people that look normal are the people that give you the biggest headache and the people who are annoying or sometimes they just grow hard and they'll be your best tenant they pay every single month and i'll give this example it's like this one of my tenants that just came on my property last year she gave six months in advance she's like i'm not i'm not trying to play games she gave six months in advance i knew she was serious but sometimes there are tenants where you have to come afterward and call them ask for them to pay rent etc for me it's to the point where i put so many conditions in place in the contract initially that if you're not serious you won't see us because the more the less attractive it is for them to be attended, the less they want to deal with you. Yeah. And if your property is in a prime location where people, and anyways, people always need a place to live, you mm-hmm. know. But if people are going to be opposed to what I have on the documentation, then it's to a point where you're not serious, or you know you have a history with tenants yeah. and landlords, so you just won't go for it. So it's a good way to eliminate the bad apples. Yeah. Do you have a like a horrible experience with tenants? And like, what's your best experience and your worst <laughs> oh, experience with someone? Is 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 the six uh, the person that offered to pay six months in advance? Is that like the best thing that's that's happened? No. So my best tenant is actually the one that. So I have multiple puppies. I have one in a big city, and I want to change my thesis. And I got one near a Two Rivers, which for people who don't know, we'll call it. Uh, we'll say is the. New Jersey or is the Pennsylvania to New York okay, just yeah, yeah. for people yeah. who are from the US. So essentially for me, my best tenant is somebody who is the property manager of the property. So I give him a, a less or I give him a discount on his uh, lease essentially for him to manage a property. So anytime there's a clock bathroom, doors need to be switched, reparation that need to be done. He does it and I'll we negotiate a specific amount for him to have a discount on the lease. And you'll see this a lot of the times with big apartment pop complexes. They have a property manager who sleeps in the property or have a reduced rent, but he takes care of everything. So for me, that's probably my best tenant because one, it allows me to be able to have the peace of mind of the property going. And sometimes it's too open. I don't hear from you, just get the deposit with the e-transfers sent every single month and you don't hear anything but my worst tenant and uh, I'll have a video on that on the on the before the after in my renovations but you know sometimes I'll say this people who 
deal with mental health and drugs sometimes it's you know it's nice to provide them shelter etc but yeah i had a tenant who completely destroyed the property from a to z you know and when i first visited the property she seemed normal the property was clean etc and this was all during the pandemic so you know and during that time a lot of people were secluded and they had no ways to meet their families or be around other people so you know a lot of people got desperate or referred to drugs as a mean to cope and when i got back to the property guys it wasn't the same property <laughs> I bought. How long did you there for? she was there for well she was the old landlord's tenant so it's probably a year and a half or two years oh, so when you bought the property she was living there already yeah i inherited all my tenants okay. so now i'm through the process where i get to choose my own tenants etc but it was a blessing in the skirts because she, well, a blessing in the sky because she destroyed the property so bad that I'm able to do a yeah, get renovation. Yeah, yeah, get renovation and it's to the point where if she didn't do that, I don't think I would have done anything. But it's uh, to the point where it was so bad, guys. Cigarettes in the sink, busted floors, etc. And that's, you know, I, I don't want to paint a pretty picture just to see that real estate is great. To, Real estate for me changed my life. <laughs> yeah, real estate changed my life. You know, and for me, if I were to do, if I were to do it all over again, I would do it all over again because that experience that I got is like ten years experience. You know, and it's to the point where you're able to design a place, and I tell people look to see what the neighborhood is doing. Don't go ahead and put marble and you put granite countertops, etc. If the neighborhood doesn't require it. But I'm in a neighborhood that's increasing in gentrification. I had the opportunity to put a lot of strategic renovations. And as I mentioned before, the bathroom, the kitchen are the two most important places. So yeah, I made the, I changed the layout of the property. So essentially by this time in July, I would be able to increase my rent by what? An extra 200% wow, that's of the renovations true. I made. You know, so sometimes you have to take a step back to take like five steps forward. Yeah. And what about like ex external um, things when looking to buy a property? Because I was talking to my friend and he told me I bought this property um, because uh, the train that they're building is going to pass yeah. through there in a couple of years. And I never thought of thinking in, like future wise when you're buying a property, obviously you should. Um, but he told me that and I was like, oh, that's that's smart. Like, yeah. should, so, you should think like that. This is what I think about when I buy property. So, yes, you have big cities that provide public transportation. But my checklist is school within a five to ten minute radius, hmm. a bank. So you need to have an ATM close by if people say they can't provide you a transfer. Public transportation. And as well, I would say a major employment site or company. So for example, if you have a big hospital, if you have a government agency close by, if you have a big warehouse that provides a lot of uh, employment for the region, that's the region I look at or the types of sectors I look at. And I have a preference for properties that are within 1955 to we'll say 1990 because it's not too old, but it's not too new. And so a lot of the times is if you have to do renovation, there won't be to a point where you need to change new plumbing, new electrical, et cetera. So you're able to just keep it cosmetic. 
and then I was have a flat roof because especially people who don't know this, when you have property that have a triangular roof, you have to replace shingles. So shingles are those yeah, pieces we did of that. Uh, brown, black, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to replace those, you have to do every 25 to 15 or 25, yeah, 15 to 25 years. And depending how much rain your region gets, it could be accelerated. So just to replace the roof and replace the shingles could cost you $55,000 and upwards. Wait, what? 55? Yeah, excuse me, $25,000 $25, up to 55, depending on how big the, your roof is. Yeah, we we had to do it. I think this house was built in 2004 um, or yeah, 2004. And then we just changed it last year. Yeah. And it was seven or eight K. So oh, wow. maybe it's maybe it's because of the size. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you're talking about like bigger buildings. Yeah, because it also depends because, for example, let's say in 2000, 2004, essentially it's every 20 years or so. Yeah, yeah it's every 20 to 25 yeah. years max. So, say 20 years is good. It all depends on how good the roof is because I know a lot of people, for example, the shingles were a bus, you have leakage inside. So a yeah. lot of it is you have to repair and see the damage. So I know a lot of people who pay 25000 you know, 17000 It all depends on who you get to contract your work. But... I think that thinking forwardly allows the opportunity because sometimes we just think on the now and like, ah, oh, this is a nice, this is a nice property, cetera, but you want to look at the neighborhoods and look to see where people are putting their money into the neighborhood. Cause if, if I would have said that Griffith town was going to be where Griffith town is, I would have taken a loan. I would make my grandma take a loan. I would have made <laughs> everybody take a loan in my family to be able to by a property you know so how much is a condo there now in the it has to be like six seven eight hundred yeah me easily easily oh, it's like a million no the condos it could be if i'm sure the nice oh, no, i'm thinking of the ones downtown actually the ones downtown are like a million no yeah i guess it depends on the size too but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah even griffintown is expensive it's so expensive. yeah you know so and they jumped in value quickly so that's where it's important to be able to like think forwardly, but also look to see where the opportunities are. And in Montreal, there's a lot of opportunities in different areas. What are some examples of good opportunities? <laughs> uh, if I had to go somewhere right now to go look at properties, where would you go? Yeah, if someone's listening right now and they're trying to buy a property, <laughs> yeah, get so it I'll straight give, from the wizard investor. I'll give regions in Montreal, I'll give regions outside Montreal. So I will look at Oshilaga. So mm -hmm. as Chris mentioned, there's the train that goes from all the way to the south to the east and people don't know this but they're extending the blue line also so essentially the blue line stops at uh semi-shell metro and mm -hmm. the government or the federal government is funding the project for it to have an expansion to anjou so wow. for me i will look at the oshalaga maisonneuf areas a lot of areas where the gentrification is happening right now there is Montreal North, which is where I like to look at also. A lot of investment firms are looking to buy properties in that region as well. And one area that isn't mentioned enough, but this is outside of uh, Montreal, is the Mirabel Saint, Saint yeah. Jean. That, yeah, yeah. that right there is a lot of new condos developing. Of course, there's the outlets as well. I think that. It's a new area, so a lot of it's going to be new construction, but if somebody is able to find a nice duplex 
and especially in the Central America, there's a there's a train station that passes through as well. So as I mentioned before, if you're able to have a nice school, a bank close by, and things where there is public transportation, there's always going to be people willing to rent. You know, you don't want to be too far away that you need a car to be able to get to your property. You know, you want to be there where people are able to get there by public transit. I remember two years ago, we were looking for a house and the dis- the difference between Laval properties and Mirabel properties, there was a big difference. You could get a huge mansion um, at that price back back then. Now the gap has closed a bit. I was yeah. looking at the prices in Mirabel and it seems like maybe it's, it's probably because of COVID. Like no one cares where they live anymore. You can live pretty much anywhere yeah, now, especially exactly. if you work from home. So it doesn't really matter where you live uh, as much as it used to. And I think now even there, the prices are are high, but it, they're still better than what it is. Uh, yeah, Montreal. Like Chris said, working remote made everybody look outside of Montreal because I know a lot of people... Before the pandemic, you had to be close to downtown if you're working in that region or if you want to be anywhere close to a bus, train, or metro station. Right now, yeah. it's so important that you have hybrid work. And even if it's not hybrid, sometimes it's fully remote. So a lot of people are going to the suburbs and looking to see if they could get more bank for their buck. And if I were to give a couple of regions outside of, we'll say, Mirabel, et cetera, I would look... <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll say this, okay? This is my preference. I like, in the States, they call Section 9 or Section 8, sorry. And for me, I like properties or I like areas where government provides assistance to tenants or to the population. And I'll give a reason why. Essentially, because I worked at the bank during the pandemic. A lot of people used to call to push their mortgage payments, et cetera. And a lot of the people that I used to call it were engineers, lawyers, CPAs, etc. So a lot of people during that time were panicking because they were really paying or living paycheck to paycheck, you know? And I realized that even though you have a high salary, you may not have the salary to pay all your expenses as well or have the cash reserves in case of emergency. So if I anticipate there's going to be a recession coming soon and essentially in Canada, what happens is that if you lose your job, you could apply for unemployment insurance, so essentially that gives you 60% of your salary. So if somebody's making a hundred K, the government could give you assistance and you'll make $60,000. But I don't know too many people could keep the expenses at 60 K when you make it a hundred K normally it's tax for tax, you know? So yeah. if your salary that is a hundred K and you have, for example, expenses at 90 K and your salary is cut to 60, was the first thing that you are not likely to pay your mortgage or your or your rent. Yeah. So for me, it's to a point where I like people who are or who have government assistance because the government won't stop providing them money. They'll just tax people more to give them money. You know? Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing they do, they pay their rent and the rest they live off. You know, mm-hmm. so for me, you're assured to have at least rent coming in. And I wouldn't say it's recession proof, but it provides a better strategy than just leasing to anybody who has a high salary. Sometimes you have to look to see who provides you the least amount of risk. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but it's true because it's like, it's guaranteed money, basically. Yeah. 
Did I know you asked um, on your IG story uh, for questions? Did did we have any like people questions? Yeah, guys, can I just take a two second break or can I gotta change spots? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, let me answer the question that says. So somebody asked, "Is right now a good time to buy real estate?" And the answer to that is yes and no. So. Way to buy real estate will only cost you more at the end of the day. And, you know, if I were to wait to buy real estate, maybe I want to get 3%. Maybe I want to get the property I had also. So the more you wait, the more you pay. But it's not the best time to buy because interest rate and so much uncertainty. So yeah. I know that interest rate reached 5% recently. A lot of people are freaking out, but... What were they before? 3%, 2%, if you're lucky, how you got, sorry? Like, how long ago? Like, when did it, when did it increase the 5%? Well, last two, last three weeks, ever since the, yeah, yeah, it's happening quickly. So <laughs> I know somebody who buy property, they, they were qualified for 4.25. The deal fell through and they had to get another financing. They got financing at 4.95. So for people who don't know, that's a big jump because it's only seven days difference. That's a big difference. That's a big jump. That's in seven days, it went from 4.25 to 4.95. So, but what people need to keep in, in mind is that uh, the rates in 2012, 2011, 2009 were at 5%. And people were able to make a lot of money in real estate also. So for me, in my head, anything under... 5% is still cheap money. It's just that you have to think in consequence of that. So you have to make sure that you have money coming in because there's one thing you don't want is having to pay out of pocket to keep your property afloat. So, you know, it comes down to knowing your numbers, but I'll speak from my own experience. Interesting won't stop me from looking at real estate or to see a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's yes and no because if it's, you should wait because it is the we're at the peak of the graph yeah. like if this was a graph you're at the peak of the graph and you're trying to buy at the highest point so it does sound like it's stupid to buy now but also like you said if you don't buy now it's only going to get like more expensive so that's why it's a yes and no thing yeah because it's so hard to say Has real estate ever dip like like i've honestly i've never really looked into real estate yeah it, it did because especially in 2008 for those who don't know yeah. 2008 is yeah. where a lot of people became millionaires and so it, real estate went down along with everything else basically. Uh, everything real estate, yeah. was, real estate was started everything was that the only time like in the past 20 years that it happened no no, no 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 early 2000s also from i know a lot of people purchased their first home in 2001 to 2005 and that's right made a clean cleaning on that and it would happen in 2020 if the government didn't stop the payments for the mortgages we would have a similar situation so for me i don't think we'll ever reach 2008 levels but what happened is that people bought their first properties brand new construction at seven hundred thousand dollars at three percent 4.35 and they qualified that was the top of their budget what's gonna happen when interest rate rise up at five percent and then you have to requalify for a new mortgage so if you already had trouble paying your mortgage at three percent what's gonna happen with that five percent 
So a lot of people are going to have a similar situation when they're going to refinance. So that's why people like me, and we spoke last episode of always having cash reserves on the sides for those types of situations. A lot of people are going to refinance their mortgages soon they won't be able to afford their current homes. So that's where the opportunities are going to come in the market. Mm-hmm. Or here's the trick. And it's kind of sad, but the best properties to look for is from old people. Old people, old people, or people who just deceased is the best opportunity or the best way to find properties at discount because sometimes the family just wants to get rid of it or sometimes grandparents just want downsize, you know, and that takes a bit more effort to find people and walk up to them and ask them if you want to sell your home. But those are opportunities that are in the markets if you're looking to buy your first home also. Also divorces, yeah? Yeah, that's a good one too. Because they just want to get rid of the house. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. because right now we were looking at a condo and they're going through a divorce and they, they don't want to mess around with the offers. They just want to accept yeah. whatever. Yeah, straight cash. Through. Exactly. Oh, so, yeah. What's the next one? Yeah, and then I got a question I asked. Do I need a high income to order or to, in order to have a property? The answer to that is yes and no, again. So <laughs> as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the bank doesn't like risk. And what the bank says risk is not having certainty. The more certainty you're able to provide the bank, the better it is. So I'll give the example, and we spoke about, I think, episode two of how to finance your investment or your projects if you're an entrepreneur. But a lot of entrepreneurs or people who work for themselves make a high salary. But because it's uncertain to the bank that you'll make the same performance year over year, mm-hmm. you may not qualify for a mortgage or for financing because you're considered high risk compared to somebody who's making $50,000, who has the same profile, same credit score. They'll yeah. go for the person who's making $50,000 working the night to five compared to the entrepreneur making $100,000, yeah. even though everything else is the same. So I wouldn't say that you need high income, but if you're looking to buy as a couple, the higher your income can be together, the stronger your your probabilities of having their mortgage increase too. Nice. Uh, what do you think quickly about virtual banks? Because you're talking a lot about banks. Um, what do you think about people who get mortgages? Like, as I was looking as well with a virtual bank. You, yeah, virtual banks, uh, credit unions, at the end of the day for me, they're all the same. Boats, you know, because especially if you deal with a, Mortgage broker, they look at all alternatives. You know, yeah. sometimes the way it goes is that they'll look at the top five banks. Okay. If you want to be new, you'll add the national bank, top six bank. Then they'll look at the credit, uh, credit unions. And then they'll look at the neo banks and the virtual banks, etc. All right. So it goes through that process if you're able to go through uh, the process with a mortgage broker. But what's nice about a virtual bank or a credit union is that First off, you get straight to a point. So there's less policies and less things in place for you to actually have a account open with them. And sometimes too is that because they're so brand new or they're trying to increase their market share throughout the country, they're more willing to work on your profile and look to see how the situation could actually benefit both parties. I know a lot of top six mm-hmm. banks, they'll look at your profile, they'll say no. And you'll ask them what you could do to change it, they'll say nothing. So it doesn't going to that risk uh, tolerance okay. to are willing to work with you and look to see okay this is what it is you know i had 
situations where I had to contact the sometimes it's a credit officer or a credit analyst that looks at the profile, looks at the situation and looks at the type of property you want to buy. Sometimes you have to explain to them the reason for it. And if it makes sense, it accelerates the process. You can't do that with a top five bank. Okay. So there are pros and cons for both. It's going to be crazy when you're, we're going to be able to buy uh, houses in the crypto with crypto without needing any bank or without needing anything. If it goes that way, hopefully it does. Landlords, here's the trick. Take 20% of your revenue you get from your mortgage, from your rents and put it into Bitcoin. Because those small deposits are going to add up and that's going to allow you to have the opportunity to buy another property in the future. Because Chris said it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I know some people who actually were able to get a mortgage based off the Bitcoin holdings also. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's in the States. So yeah, because it's an asset now. It's so. All right. Uh, was there another question? Yeah. Somebody asked a very interesting question. Somebody asked, should I rent? Sorry, let me just get the question. So somebody asked, is renting a fully furnished apartment to a student a good idea? And I'm kind of feeling conflicted about this idea because I like the idea of short-term rentals, Airbnb, et cetera. But for me, I don't like Airbnb in the traditional way where you have a guest every single day or every two days. I like mm-hmm. intermediary short-term rentals, like six to three months, or if you want to do a full year, cool. But every single day ends up having a lot of overhead. So for me, if it's to the point where you're able to get a international student and you rent it to them and that's your main niche, good but i was a student and we all went to our crazy college parties etc <laughs> the mess that could be done when you have furniture and you have things in place that are valuable etc it potentially could cost you more than the actual return on your investment yeah it's true um i have an example one of my one of my closest friends um like she's someone also that i've always looked looked up to in a way because like what her mom did with i guess their financial situation was so smart so basically like um they basically her mom moved here like from Jamaica to Canada and I think in Jamaica it's like really known that like you should own property like I think it's a big thing in their culture like everyone needs to own land or property or whatever so one of the first things her mom did when she moved here was they bought like a duplex but it has a basement and so I think she didn't want to separate the basement to make it like a separate unit so what she ended up doing is she had a contract with like a school I believe it was in Korea and so every semester she would have like new students coming. And um, I remember that well, in her basement. Yeah. So she, so she had two bedrooms in the basement and in the basement, there was also like, they renovated it to have a kitchen and a bathroom. So that, so like that also added value because they had their separate, like, well, technically it was shared, but like yeah. just students. And um, she also used to prepare them food every day. So she would make them like sandwiches and like salads and stuff. So I think she was charging, like, I don't remember the numbers, but at the time in the area that we live in, it was like she was she was charging prices that were like higher than if they were to live alone in like their own studio kind of like the prices were pretty high for for like that area I find but it's because she was offering them like just by offering the food and like them having like a nice a nicer I guess place to live in um and so like she was like so not only did she have somebody upstairs living in the top like um floor she also had like at all times basically two people living in the basement paying like 
I think it was close to 1k each, like for each room or something yeah. like that, like 750 or something like that, which is crazy. Shit. And so she killed it. Like in terms of real estate, like she's somebody that I've like since I was a kid, she was somebody that I looked up to because I was like, like I never really heard of anyone doing this around me really. And when I when I met her, I was like, holy shit, her mom is so smart. And like just the way that she like pulled it off is amazing, you know? And like it was just crazy. Yeah, and I, I tell people, and that's a perfect example of making money in the niche. Yeah. You know, if I told people that having a elderly friendly apartment building could actually provide you more money in your pockets. Now, I'll give an example, especially in the Montreal region. There's a lot of condos that are going to be built, but for older people. So just elderly homes are just brand new, but not everybody can afford paying a thousand six hundred, a thousand five hundred, et cetera, for rent. Mm. So I know somebody who actually bought a home two levels, put rooms everywhere, and just has old people living in and rent out every single room. There's like a, a hostel? chef that comes in. Yeah, essentially, for old people, though. There's a, oh. there's a chef that comes in that cooks their food, and essentially, he charges them $900 a month, pays his mortgage, pays the chef, and essentially has profit in his pocket. So, Sheesh. I guess you just I know be like with who's coming to your apartment, because like you said, if it's like party kids that are partying... <laughs> Then you're yeah. screwed. but like I guess my friend's mom got lucky and she chose a good company and good people because I don't think they had bad experiences with it but it was also very like it wasn't like they had their enough of their own space to actually throw a party it was like it was yeah. scared so like they had to respect her rules and like she would come bring them food every day so it was like it's not the same dynamic as an as an Airbnb they don't yeah. have as much freedom as they would with an Airbnb yeah exactly especially international students that's a yeah. That's a big business. That's a big business because, yeah. and for those who don't know, is that international students have to pay a lot of money fees, especially when the visas, bank fees, etc., crazy fees. And just the schooling alone for international students, we pay like whatever, like five hundred. I think high school was like five hundred dollars a year or something, and they were paying like five k or like like in the thousands just to come to our pub, our like shitty public school. Mm. You know and. I know I tell people we talked a lot about like multifamily investing. And for me, that's probably one of my favorite because you're not only able to have the cash flow, but you're able to have the actual asset of a home. But there's a bunch of different ways to make passive income through real estate. You can buy REITs. There's a storage unit that's possibility also. So I know people do Airbnb arbitrage. So there's a lot of different ways to be able to have passive income. It just depends on the type of field you want to go towards the type of niche you want to go to and like chris said real estate is it's only gonna go up and up and up and i spoke into a lot of brokers i spoke into a lot of analysts and it's going to be to a point where it's going to be big companies and for people for montreal you'll realize that every time you see a walmart you'll see a logo that says smart center and smart centers are REIT essentially that basically makes these plazas. But what they're doing right now is they're building condos for people to rent it out. And that's going to be part of that redistribution. So it's going to be to a point where you either own or you get a rent. And a lot of people, especially millennials and the Gen Z's, and it's just going to be a lot of renters. So if you're able to accumulate assets and have cash flow to be able to buy these properties, you're putting your family in a position to be able to be owners in a space that's going to be majority potentially 60 
70% renters, that's probably going to be like Vancouver or Toronto in a couple mm. of years. Sure. I need to, I need to like find a solution to stop renting because me too, it's like, it's at a point where I've rented my whole life and I'm like, I hate it. <laughs> like I'm going to go crazy. And I know that it's like, I need to do something about it soon, you know? Yeah. And once you get one property, it opens up, you know, doors for other properties. So yeah. once you make that first step, which is typically the hardest it was for us, but I'm telling my, well, one of my friends now I'm telling him like, do it, do it, do it, do it. No matter how hard you think it is, it's easier than what you think. And it opens the door for you in the future to have your own property after and to buy other properties. Yeah, especially, and I want to let people know is that like it's possible for me. If you would have told me two years ago I would buy a property, I would have said, I wouldn't believe it, but it's like, I'll give people an example is that if you buy a property at $500,000, and you buy a second one at $500,000, you will legit have a million dollars. So worst case scenario, if anything <laughs> goes bad or if anything goes wrong, you have a million dollars. And everything you add on top of that yeah. just builds your empire a different way. Yeah. So that's where, like Chris said, it only takes one. And then I know people don't like to say life is a monopoly, but it's really that the more you're able to accumulate, even though it's in different regions, different area codes, etc. Everybody has their preference, but having assets, especially having quality assets, can make life-changing alternative decisions for you. For sure. So as soon as you can, you should do everything you can to to get into getting your first property. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that we're so used to being individuals in society that we say like, oh, I have to do this on my own, I have to do this on my own, but... If you're in college and you're working a full-time job and you don't need the cash, look to see where you can partner with people. You know, there's yeah. opportunities for you to buy properties outside of big cities that, that don't cost much. And I know there are opportunities in cities like Three Rivers, Shawinigan, you know, if you're in the Quebec region, if you're in Ontario, London, Ontario is a popping area right now. Niagara Falls is a good area also. So sometimes it's not just a question of looking in your specific region, but looking outwards to invest and looking to add a bunch of people and then put that as a collective also could also allow you to grow your portfolio. Cause I rather have, where well, I come to realize that I rather have 5% of a big deal than I have zero and just have cash. Facts, 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 facts. All right. Any other questions? No, I think that we covered the specific question that I just want to let people know that it, I don't want to say it doesn't take rocket science. You need to know your numbers. You need to yeah. know where you're getting yourself into because people see real estate like, oh, it's a nice shiny thing. It's a long-term thing. And yeah, I was told this when I started. Somebody told me, and then we're investing in real estate for like 20 years. It takes approximately five to seven years before you actually see your money grow in an incline you know because essentially once your mortgage passes five years then that's where you see the equity and that's where you see the difference in terms of your profit as well because when you're first paying your mortgage you're only paying the interest from the bank yeah after five years you start to pay down the principal amount and that's where you start to get more profit in as well so real estate isn't for everybody but if you're somebody who's committed to having a long-term vision any type of exposure to it can make a life-changing decision. Yeah. 
Facts. All right, should we wrap up? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty long, actually. But there's Yo, yeah, good episode. Anybody got a rant, or we're gonna? <laughs> I bro, I need to write things down more because I saw a few things throughout the week that I wanted to talk about, but I didn't write them down, and then I forget. For next episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It was really like real estate. I feel, I feel like we, like we spoke about so much. Even me, I'm like, I'm, I'm like thinking right now, like, oh shit, how am I gonna get into real estate? You know? Yeah, guys, 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 guys. No worry, I'm working on something. Like, I even learned so much because I really like, I'm, I'm, I've never really been super knowledgeable of real estate and everything. So I think this will be a really valuable episode for all of our listeners. So yeah, you know, and I, I'm working on something big, and you guys think I get involved, so it's not. Real estate is not out of the picture for you guys. We're working on something and like at once it's going to be collective. So that's why I'm uh, Let's go. Oh, yeah, bro. Because sometimes, you know, you got to think bigger, you know, and I used to be somebody who was like, oh, you know, you guys buy one, two, three, four. Sometimes you could just do one giant property and then that's it. You have your 20, yeah. 60 and then that's it, you know. So 2022 is about expanding my brain to think bigger and look to see if I could do bigger projects instead of doing one tool you know but the goal is to have at least one property transaction or one real estate transaction every single year for 10 years and um, afterwards yeah, yeah yeah that's the goal that's the goal if i could do that or if anybody could just acquire one property per year after 10 years you're just sitting golden yeah for sure that's crazy that's facts all right well it was a great episode guys thank you for watching and subscribing And we will see you in next episode. Number five, I think.